Ah, hey there, welcome to We've Been Had, uh, where we talk about albums, and you listen to us jabbering and eventually ask yourself why you've made these life choices. I am Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad Cook. And the deal, as always, is we take turns picking an album, and then we both go off and dig into it and come back and talk. This time around, it was Chad's pick. And it was, and Chad, as he's now done a couple times, decided that his original pick was not a good one. So we have retooled to the reissue of the replacements album, Tim. You were a, you were a regular... Peyton Manning at the line there, calling audibles. Well, so this is just, this is probably more information than people want, but like I, I try to pick interesting things that are, that are more challenging, but then I listen to them and I'm like, <laughs> I don't have a lot to say about this. Yeah. And so it, you know, apologies to Lee Scratch Perry. <laughs> um, I'm going to say up front that I'm just, treating this show as a chance to not only talk about the let it be version of Tim, but the original mix Tim and the replacements in general, because that's kind of big part of my brain. Um, and we always do that. Uh, tombstone info for this is pretty complicated since it's a reissue. This edition and mix was released September 23 remixed by Ed Stasium in a radically different form we'll be talking about. The original version of Tim was recorded, was released on Sire in September of 85. First major label album for the Mats. It was recorded, another one, at our old pal Nicolette Studios, um, which is about two miles from us. Yeah, great job, guys. <laughs> Produced for some goddamn reason by Tommy Ramon, uh, or Tommy Erdely. I got curious. I'm going to start trying to remember to do this. I, uh, I was curious what was the number one song oh, yeah. when Tim was originally released. Um, Van Halen Jump? I No, but I mean, that had to have been pretty recently. It was Money for Nothing, Dire Straits. Oh. Which is... It's a problematic song. Yes, it is. Uh, that was the number one song in the country? September of 85, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, would you, do you have a uh, brief description of Tim in this form or the original form or either form? Or? Yeah. So, I mean, the interesting thing is this reissue came out as a as sort of a box set where they, they packaged it with the Ed Stasium remix. Yeah. A 2023 remix. Uh, yeah, which, Does, why? Uh, why? I, who wants that? Great question. And then like a live, like a live performance. Yeah. And the live performance actually had some like interesting covers that I had not heard. Um, you know, like they did Jumpin' Jack Flash. Yeah. Uh, so that was interesting. The, the you know, so like just, and I'm probably going to say this a lot, but like the sound is so much fuller on this. Christ. If they would have mixed it this way, I think it would have been the number one album in the world. I think that's, you know, it sure as hell would have been received differently. It, I, I'm amazed, you know, there's been this wave of reissues and like, sometimes they're, I don't know, usually I think they end up being vandalism or just like kind of revisionism. 
it's kind of amazing to me with the the replacements are like the one band where like now they've had two albums like basically rescued by these reissues and like I it, it, I don't know it's just it's weird to me that they had such shitty production so consistently yeah it was just mixed so it's so tinny that like just by I, I think what he's doing primarily is just bringing up the like the rhythm guitar and the, the bass. bass yeah yeah like that fucking Tommy Stinson must be so happy that this that this exists but it is it is so much better I can't it, I just I can't even you know sometimes I'll listen to a reissue and I'll be like you know, like this is not different than yeah. the, but maybe it's because I had so much time with the with the original version of Tim and the you know my CD player. Yeah, I'm just used to the like, but I mean it was like it was like getting glasses or something. Yeah, like, it, exactly. It's it's crazy, and you know I mean I always thought Tim was a great album, but it was like a great album with an asterisk and like asterisk gone now. Yeah, no, it's great. It's, uh, although I will say the decision to not include the electric guitar version of can't hardly wait. Well, I think they didn't want to, I, I get that, that like, you know, they sequenced, you know, they wanted to remix the album, but they didn't want to like resequence it. And no, I mean when they, when the oh. album originally was, yeah, I don't know conceived. what the fuck they were thinking there. Cause like that, I mean, it's already a great album. Like, I think that the remix kind of puts it in that conversation for Pantheon type albums. Yeah. If you add that song, it's it's a no doubter. I agree. Yeah, I, I I've like I like the you know the version of Can't Hardly Wait they ended up releasing on Please to Meet Me. Like, I like it a lot, but I've never understood once the the Tim version you know became available. I just like. What the fuck were they hearing in that and saying like this isn't good enough? We gotta, this has got to keep cooking because it's perfect. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't understand it, and I, I never will. Uh, I so one thing that I, that I get a kick out of with them calling the 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 remixed or remaster version, calling it the Let It Bleed edition. Like, I always felt that there was this kind of informal convention in Twin Cities music that uh, you know for the big bands of the 80s Husker Du were, were the Beatles of Minneapolis and the replacements were the Stones and I guess this feels like the replacements camp like trying to own a little bit of that so like, yeah you know it's the Let It Bleed edition man we're, I guess if you can bring it back to the to the Beatles you're you know uh, to your credit uh, this does make them you know this gives the replacements. They have an album. Let it be. Now they yeah. they've like managed to name check both iterations. I don't know those replacements. Um, it is interesting to, that they did Tommy Ramone producing the first one. Yeah. It was Tommy Ramone, right? Yeah. And then they, the guy they hired to do the reissue, is a guy who produced a couple of Ramones albums. Yeah. I, I I just I don't understand I don't I don't understand the the 
thinking having Tommy. I'll just call him Tommy Ramon. I, I don't know. Early. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. We all know him as Tommy Ramon. Like, what the fuck? He. I, I, the Ramones made cool records, but I don't know how you would look at the Ramones camp and be like, yeah, one of these guys. You know, I know that he had stopped playing and was just kind of producing for them. But no Ramones record is like, you know, like, like nobody's listening to Ramones records for production. Yeah. No one's right. like this. You know what this sounds like? Pet sounds. This is, this is just masterfully put together. I, so I, earlier this summer, I was, I listened to the audiobook version of uh, Trouble Boys. Trouble Boys. And like, I, I think that's just one of the best rock books ever. Um, and I'm going to be talking about it a bunch, I'm sure. But one thing that I got a kick out of reading it was after Tim came out and people complained about how terrible the sound was and how you couldn't hear Tommy Stinson, Erdely's, um defense was, well, you can't hear, of course you can't hear Tommy Stinson because he was playing a Rickenbacker bass and they just don't put out enough sound. And that is like the most chicken shit defense a producer could possibly give if only there was a soundboard where yeah. you could where you could elevate levels to, yes i mean jesus christ do your fucking job i mean was it plugged in i mean that might have been the problem <laughs> well, the thing i love is you know this band is just saturated with rivalry with rem there's a song on this album that like calls peter buck a pussy um R.E.M. was selling a fuckload of records back then. Mike Mills always playing a Rickenbacker bass that you can hear just fine. So like, I don't know. It just I, I just that was like my favorite like, uh, not my fault, man. Bit in that entire book. Yeah, it's uh, it, and I think that like because Trouble Boys is Jim Walsh, right? Uh, no, Bob Merrick. Bob Merrick. Okay. Jim Walsh's. Doesn't he, he have a replacement book? Yeah, his is like an oral history. Okay. Because I was trying to figure out if that would be if that would be if the oral history style would be better as an audiobook. That'd be interesting. Because I I find them a little hard to read sometimes. Yeah. Um, just because of the way it's you know when you're talking to a bunch of different people, it doesn't it doesn't have a real like continuous tone. But if you yeah. can get those people to relay those stories, that would be pretty cool. I mean, I guess you're probably talking about a documentary. But yeah. I think that would be better than. I don't know. It's yeah. just the. It does seem like there's a, some facet of the replacements that involve self sabotage. Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah, um, I mean like. Over and over, over again. To like stupid, stupid. So that's the thing. Um, a note I've got is that like whole replacements fandom is just kind of full of weird counterfactuals where, you know, like to love this band is to always think like, well, if this had happened differently, maybe they could have made it. If this had happened differently, maybe they could have made it. You know, and you were saying if Tim had originally sounded this good when it came out, maybe it would have worked. But, you know, and, and I always think that stuff too. But then I also always think like Westerberg was so just, ingrainedly self-destructive that I think like if this or that thing that went against them hadn't gone against them you know he would have found some other probably thing to light on fire or, um, it just is 
I, I, w- I would love to know, and I couldn't find this anywhere, what the backstory was on the reissue, like how they how they decided that they wanted to do that and how they picked the engineer. Yeah, I don't know. They, they've they been, you know, with the, there was the reissue, Don't Tell a Soul, a couple of years ago, and then a reissued uh, Please to Meet Me came out recently, but, you know, like a year or so ago. But there wasn't much hubbub about it because the you know the original sounds fine. Yeah. So, um, but there there seems to be this like project project of going through the the catalog and yeah I don't know how they picked Stasium but he was the man for the job. Yeah, he's got some inter- some kind of eclectic producing engineering credits. Yeah. Like Living Color, Vivid. That's a fucking great album. Yeah. Soul Asylum's Hang Time, which. You know, like, it's a pretty good Soul Asylum record. Yeah. Um, and then, like, Talking Heads 77. Hmm. Damn. Which, which you're like, you know, and he's got a bunch of Ramones and, you know, like, things like that, too. Yeah. But I'm just like, you know, that's, those are, those three bands are all very different. Yeah. I think, I, I think a truly good producer can do that, though. You know, like... <sighs> Yeah, you know, I look at the like the huge variety of people Rick Rubin works yeah, with. Yeah, it's true. You know, like I don't know. I think that's better than the Phil Spector type of producer that just like wants to make everyone basically sound the same. I guess Spector did work with the Ramones and didn't try to make them sound the same. But you know, like like generally, there's like I'm going to make you sound like a '60s wall of sound person. And, yeah. It's uh, that's true. I guess that I had not thought about it like that. There are people who have like Butch Vig has a very distinct Did, style. Yeah, yeah. That fucker Bob Clearmountain. <laughs> you in, love Bob Clearmountain. Puts in the Clearmountain pause. Like if you've got, it, it, yeah. I feel like if you're a producer and people like know your gimmick, then you've done something wrong. Yeah, I was. I just. I, it's been a long time since I've. I've been blown away by something that was like, I mean, it's like finding an artifact and like somehow restoring it to its pristine, like, yeah, I don't, I, I just, I don't know that I've even, the only thing I can think of is you remember, I think we were in college when the, uh, when George Lucas re-released the star Wars, yeah. the original star Wars trilogy. Yeah. And the first one, the first one was on in, in the big screen. Yeah. And like, it was, much much better i mean i liked it i i i like there was i liked i thought this base battle effects were way better i always thought it was really stupid that he changed the just the ticky tack shit like oh now greedo shoots first and restoring the scene with Jabba the Hutt, but, like, the spatial relations like to me that's actually a good analog for like the way a lot of other uh, album remasters that I don't yeah. like as much work as well. You know, because it's like I, you improved some things and you made some things worse, and I'm not sure that the overall. So I, I would say that, like, the prequels that he put out are the better example of, like, so, you know, he had these original things that were good on their own, and. You know, maybe a little heavy-handed, but he did yeah. just some tweaking around the edges. Yeah. And then when the new ones came out, he had all these tools. Yeah. 
and it just lost the thread. No argument there. So, that's... but I digress. Uh, I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure uh, the number of Star Wars podcasts is probably quite high. <laughs> I believe it is. Uh, swinging this back around, let's just. You want to talk a second about Paul Westerberg? Yeah. The person, like I, I spend way too much time trying to figure out where I stand on him. Because like he's he's a dick, and you know that <laughs> that Bob Marabuck makes it really clear. Like he is a just a cock. Um, you know, sometimes he's a sympathetic cock. Sometimes, yeah, I got to move into like I think he had and probably still has some mental problems that just aren't really addressed. And but like he can be a real asshole to people in his life who you know don't deserve it but he's also just such like nobody executes rock music as well as he does like i I literally think no other person does i I don't know any other single person who is as good at making rock music as he is i mean i think the thing with him too is it's just there is sort of like an internal like i think so left to his own devices he really wants to make more pop records or jangle pop records you know, like he's said a couple of times that, you know, Alex Chilton is his hero and he wants to make records that sound like big star records. But yeah. he got famous by being in a, I don't know, what do you want to call it, a quasi-punk hardcore band. Yeah. Um, and so, the, like, the evolution from you know, sort of their first album, which is really like a, like a punk record, yeah, to, you know, Don't Tell a Soul, which is, you know... Could not be less of a punk record. I was trying to think yeah. of a diplomatic way to say that. And I mean, like, like I'm. Or all shut down is probably a better example. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know, it's and I think it, it's fascinating hearing him like make that progression through. You know, like you get a lot of great records out of that, but. Yeah, I love his. I love a lot of his solo work. Yeah. Like that solo monitor. Uh, Stereo mono know, yeah. record that he like recorded in his bathroom. Yeah. Is fantastic. Can't keep a good man down. But he just is a problematic figure because number one, he's a dick, and number two, he only resurfaces when it appears he needs money. Yeah. Yeah. I well, so I was fascinated when they did the reunion tour. I what year was that? Was that 18-ish, 17-ish? Yeah. Somewhere in there. That was kind of a, an interesting example into like the Paul Westerberg mental state, where like everyone loved that, you know, like just universally the the response to that was so just overwhelmingly positive and loving, and he really seems to have been miserable in it, and you know, and like towards the back half of the tour, he was like wearing shirts with like this code that came out you know if if you paid enough attention to enough shows you could decode that he was wearing shirts that said like i am sorry i had to prostitute my past or something like that and it just it it blows my mind because i'm like man you, you are not you're not on the same wavelength as the people who love your music at all you know you know like he saw something wrong with that and like there's nothing wrong with it It, it's kind of this really cool thing to be able to 
go out and play music again for people who appreciate it. And like this, I don't, his mental state of like not being able to see the good in that. I, I just, I feel like that's indicative of the darkness in him or something like that. Yeah. I think he just, I mean, he also, at least for the Minnesota show, it would have been kind of cool if they had brought out uh, Chris Mars to play. I wouldn't be surprised if they'd reached out and Mars, you know, like, Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, he seems pretty solidly. I'm just like when they did when Slim Dunlap had a stroke and they did the um, reunion or they did the benefit benefit CD for him. Um, you know, Mars was involved with that, but didn't play. And like he did art, and I think Mars is just like I'm a visual artist now. I just I don't. don't it just would be nice to. I don't know. Yeah. There's so there's only three living members of the band. Yeah. And I mean, those guys were, I know that people, this happens a lot in music that they start playing together when they're very young and then they end up hating each other. Yeah. And by the time we saw the reunion tour, it was pretty clear that, uh, Tommy Stinson and Paul Westerberg had had enough of each other. Yeah. Their stage banter was like as awkward as I've ever seen to, I mean, it was like, Lurus Mark Olson awkward. <laughs> yeah. You know, like what I imagine, uh, what I imagine, like uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young uh, session. Right. <laughs> like they're just like fucking Neil Young is just asshole. You don't know shit. So here's a thing about Westerberg that has been in my head that. In that Mare book, they talk a lot about how, you know, they talk a lot about his family um, who grew up three blocks from here um, over at 41st and Garfield. But, uh, you know, they were like this large Catholic family. Um, and Westerberg, Paul Westerberg is, uh, you know, not one of the older kids who would have got more attention. And so he grows up very kind of angry and, you know, with, um, what do they call it? Defiant, something like defiant disorder. There's, there's like a full name for it. Uh, you know, it just gets really pissed if anyone tells him what to do. I was really struck by the similarity. Um, my father also grew up in a large Catholic family, kind of, you know, further down from the top. And, also gets really mad when anyone tells him what to do. And uh, I don't know, like, I just, I, the sameness kind of hits me. Like, is this, is this a thing? Is this, if you were in a large Catholic family in the fifties and you, was there a risk that you would just come out of it? Like this, like rage filled. I'm not sure if it's a, a I mean, I think just large family. Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, I, I think the Catholics church, Catholic Church's stance on birth control probably contributes to the large yeah, family, but yeah. I mean, I th I think it's just a sort of for most people they need attention. Yeah, um, and you, when you don't get enough attention, I think that typically leads to some some bad consequences. I think that's right. I mean, it, I guess selfishly for us, it led to really good art. Yeah, uh, I don't know that it led to a good life for. Paul Westerberg. I guess yeah. we could. So just all cards on the table. Keith lives on the same block as uh, Westerberg's brother. That's right. So we could just walk over there and ask him. I, I, I'm, I'm fairly friendly with Paul Westerberg's brother, uh, but 
part of keeping that friendly tone has been that I've never, anytime I've talked to him, I've never acknowledged that I, you know, know who any other member of his family is. I'm sure he never hears that because yeah. his sister is also a, a prominent local DJ. Yeah. I saw Paul, I've seen Paul in the neighborhood once. I saw him walking to his brother's house just looking pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of his default. Yeah, I was like, I was riding my bike, and I'm like, who is that angry mother? Oh my god! I don't. I mean, I don't know if I would recognize him honestly. If he's I saw. he's pretty recognizable. Yeah. Like, he does have very very strong features. Yeah, uh, it was it was not once I once I put it together, it was wasn't hard to spot him. But one question I wanted to ask you before, well, I guess this is this ties in with the first album, song on the album, but. Do you feel like Hold My Life is just sort of a, like, if you had to encapsulate the replacements in one line, like, I feel like Hold My Life until I'm ready to use it. It really, really, like, fits in with the mythology pretty well. And that, so, I mean, I guess that'd be my counter question to you. Like, how much do you think how much of that do you think was just them like recognizing this is who we are and we're going to sing about it or versus how much of it was trying to create a myth, you know, and being like, we want to be the type of band who feels like, you know, or hold my life would just be how you'd describe us. So I want to believe that it's all organic uh, because you know, when I was in my early 20s, that's something I really identified with because you're still trying to kind of find your place in life. Yeah. And uh, I guess I still I still identify with that sometimes. But yeah. I mean, I think it's probably both. I think they probably started out as, as it was a more organic feeling. Yeah. And then I think they kind of leaned into it, probably a little too much, honestly. Yeah. Anytime you become a legend and like, I don't know. The legend can consume the the person. Yeah, it's uh, it's like the Futurama episode with the uh, with the Spuds McKenzie knockoff, the party slug <laughs> slurms. slurms. <laughs> it's like sometimes I don't want to party. <laughs> so dumb. Um, I don't remember. To, oh yeah, I know the thing with. One thing that it's funny to me when you said like you know in your twenties you identified. Uh, you know, same super much. And like, I think a lot about my band in my twenties, you know, the, the one time where I was like, where I was in a band with the mindset of like, no, we're going to make it. This is, this is my life plan. Um, it's hilarious to me looking back that we were super big replacements fans and we internalized so much of the replacements myth that, you know, we thought like, well, we, we simultaneously thought we're going to make it with this, but we shouldn't practice because practicing is lame and for posers and we're not going to go and like schmooze with people because fuck those people. Um, you know, so like, like we kind of somehow we internalized all of the replacements self-destructive shit without recognizing that like yeah no that's self-destructive <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i think it is I, yeah i don't know i guess i don't just to get back to your question i'm not sure how much of it is is the act versus the the authentic yeah. but i mean it 
maybe they were trying to trying to sabotage themselves, but I think it just uh, I think they're just some there's just some people who can't you know, can't have nice things. Yeah. That that mare book, honestly, like it uh, there's just scene after scene where like things seem to be kind of going their way and they do seem to have this drive, you know, conscious or unconscious that they have to sabotage themselves and you know, and so like they'll you know, trash a dressing room at a place where you know, they'll never be invited back or they'll 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 have a They'll be set to play like a showcase show for a bunch of different labels who all want to sign them, sign them, and they'll go out and intentionally tank the show. And it just like like you just read it and you're like, what? I, I guess. I mean, some of that there is this like punk rock mantra where like you can't be too popular. Yeah. And you know, like there's there's this sort of the like DIY initiative, and you, yeah. can, you have to, you know, you can't have any help. Yeah. to make it you have to make it on which is like ridiculous but that it is a it is a thing yeah I, yeah there are still people that I talk to that feel like the replacements sold out when they signed with Sire I think that's insane no it's it's I think it's indefensible but um but they're like well look at the Look at the look at the albums they made after they signed Sire they get poppier and poppier I'm like yes because that's what Paul Westerberg wants to do. <laughs> yeah. They also, they, you know, like a, a thing I had that I wanted to kind of talk about at some point was the phenomenon of them going from the minors up to the majors and, you know, and how that was happening in the 80s. And we've talked about it a bunch and it mostly didn't work out. Um, and, you know, I always list the replacements when I'm talking about that phenomenon, I always list the replacements as like one of the cases where it didn't work out. But, they did record, you know, at least two, and I would say now that Don't Tell a Soul's been rescued, you know, they went to the majors and recorded three classic albums. Um, and that's, you know, if that's f- failure, that's very slow failure with... And I think, like, honestly, if they, if, like we said earlier, if they... If they had mixed it properly the first time around, I think I, I don't even think we'd be having this discussion. Mm-hmm. It'd be a different, yeah. I mean, it would be a different discussion at least. You know, it would be like, oh, I guess Paul Westerberg shouldn't have stabbed the head of Sire. Yeah. You know, or you know, whatever other alternate universe thing we'd have done to derail things. Um. But yeah, so like. Zeroing back in on Hold My Life, I've got you know, I've got all these reaction notes to you know, like if you're listening to this the first time, listening you're familiar with the classic Tim and you know, you're like, I'm gonna listen to this new version. Like this is it just right away it just like knocks you on your ass that like you can hear the bass. You can hear like I, I think you can hear 40% more of what Westerberg is saying. And, you know, like, like there are all kinds of words throughout the album that, like, I didn't know what he was saying before. And, like, now you can make it out clearly. And, and I think it's, you know, it just is, it elevates. And this is one of the, you know, like, one of the things that I had in my notes for actually the second song is that I think sometimes I hold the replacements to an... an 
unreasonably high standard. Yeah. So, like, I'll buy the song I'll buy. Yeah. Right? Like, I... If that was, you know, say that's on the Strokes debut album. Yeah. Right? Because it's got that kind of vibe to it. Yeah. You know, you would say that's a pretty good song. But no one, no one is going to go to bat for I'll Buy as a great replacement song. Right. right? It's, so it's like... I don't, we're kind of... I feel like we're holding them to this this standard where every song has to be, you know, like, cause each of the replacements albums has like, has like a, a banner song on it. Yeah. And I feel like we sometimes hold, we sometimes hold the replacements to, to that. Well, and you know, Tim is this interesting thing where like, hold my life and I'll buy, I both think are perfectly good songs. You know, they're pretty good. Um, this album is weird where like half of it is songs that are like pretty good rockers but then it just happens that the other half are like among the greatest rock songs ever recorded and like like that just that you know I, you say that we hold them to a high bar um but like that you know like they're the ones that put that bar up there like like true it just they, you don't you don't hear people saying that I feel like about the Stones, though, right? Well, the Stones... If the Stones had, like, all died in a plane crash in 74, I think it'd be different. Probably. You know, like, they've... And that's kind of a separate conversation of, like, how rock musicians and rock careers should last. Um, you know, but the replacements... You know, they, they quit. I mean, they were on their way down, but they, they, they didn't spend decades cheapening the brand. True. And, okay, so maybe maybe a better a better comparison would be Husker Du, right? So yeah. Husker Du has a lot of great songs. They also have a lot of shit songs. Yeah. And so it's like, it's sort of a plus or minus. Is this a good Husker Du song or a not good Husker Du song? Yeah. Yeah, and maybe that's a key difference is that like... The baseline replacement song, you know, I'll Buy isn't anybody's great song, but it's pleasant to listen to in a way that, like, the non-essential, you know, the Husker Du songs that don't click are much, can be much <laughs> harder to listen to than this one. I mean, I'll Buy is, you know, it's, there's... I'm just saying if it was a different band, if it wasn't the replacements, yeah, and you heard I'll Buy, yeah. you wouldn't... I don't know that you would like. You wouldn't have that same. You know, it's a good. So here we're talking about it's a good song amongst great songs. Yeah. And I, I feel like you would just maybe we're a little spoiled by. Yeah. Well, I can actually remember just the way things happened. I I saw Westerberg play live solo before I ever sat down and listened to a play a, a replacements record and it was when he was touring for 14 songs and so the you know he played everything from that but it was also like a lot of replacements material and he closed with a, an electric version of can't hardly wait and i was like well you know fuck this is the best thing ever but i didn't know any of the song titles so i was like i have to find that song um, and Tim was the first record that I got, you know, and I actually, I thought Swingin' Party was that song for some reason. I don't know why. But um, 
I remember listening to Tim then, you know, trying to find this like electric version of Can't Hardly Wait. And also trying to think like, okay, like this, is this gonna, this record's supposed to be great. Is this gonna live up to this amazing show that I saw? And like Hold My Life and I'll Buy are both so pedestrian that, you know, I remember listening to them, you know, listening to the record and just being like, really, this is, this is it? This is the legend? You know, and then it gets into Kiss Me on the Bus and like, boom, okay, like, holy shit, this is really good. Um, and I guess that's a, a transition into talking about Kiss Me on the Bus. But, you know, I, I, the point I was trying to make, I guess, is that like, uh, it, this record can be, you know, it can sound disappointing until it kicks in and then like it kicks in and you're like, oh, fuck. And I guess I feel like the I feel like the the remix has just like elevated all boats. Like yeah, it has it has brought you know I I just think it's it's brought more dimension to the album and it yeah. just it's it's amazing what he was able to do. Yeah, I don't you know like I don't know how they how they dole out Grammys, but you know for my money this if there's a category for you know, best reissue. Oh yeah, this absolutely. Like it just is the the. I don't know. I just I was really. I'm not easily impressed because yeah. I think that box sets in general are kind of always a waste of money. And you know, there was. I, I just maybe it's because I got burned when I was younger. And I'd be like, well, the liner. You know, the the liner notes have this great content, and they never An have essay by Kurt Loader. Right? Holy shit! It's, it's always some you know just crap that you don't want or need. Yeah. That they've clearly tacked on to make it seem like a like oh, fifty two full color photos of ACDC. <laughs> like, but why though? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, well, I guess one other thing I did want to notice about Albi, or wanted to note, so that Maribuck also, he talks about, like, like Bob Stinson was on his way out of the band when they recorded this. He was still in it, but he was, like, distancing himself. And so the way this was recorded was mostly Westerberg, Tommy Stinson, and Chris Mars, you know, just tracking everything out. And then Bob would, like, blow in and play lead over what they'd played and like you can really hear that in albi like the the stuff he's doing you know it, it, his lead parts are cool but they also like they sound they're just they're separated from everything in a way that you can tell it was a guy playing along to a playback and not like musicians in a room feeding off of each other yeah i just i don't think bob stinson was in a place where he could do that yeah like, he it just sounds like he was a very troubled guy. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, e even more so than Westerberg, I think he is a person who had a lot of pain in his life and like managed to find something constructive to do with it for a little while. For a while, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I don't well, just thought like, I don't know if it's Rolling Stone or somebody did an interview with Bob Stinson while he's still alive and they like, they like walked out to an island yeah, this, or yeah. on like a frozen on Lake of the Isles. Lake of the Isles with like a twelve pack of beer. Yeah. I think of that every time I'm at that lake. And I think that's just I mean that was just his life. It's like, you know, like Towns Van Zant or something. Just somebody yeah. who's like super troubled and 
Yeah. Can't quite get out of their own way. Yeah. But he, I don't know. I, he has such a distinct way of playing guitar. Like, he's not, you know, he, I, I could easily name 10 people who are, like, more technically proficient. But he, like, he just, like, hangs his ass out over the edge all the time. And, like, it, when he's on, there's, like, this urgency to it that's so good. Yeah, I mean, he's he's really good as the replacements lead guitar player. It's, yeah. it's very hard to replicate. I've yeah. never, and I've only seen, I've seen Paul Westerberg and I've saw, I saw the replacements reunion show. Yeah. And the, the guy playing guitar for both of those was just sort of trying to be a facsimile. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it's a very different thing to replicate Bob Stinson than to be Bob Stinson. Um, also, people, they'll pick your nose clean. Good line. I don't know what the fuck it means, but I like that it. That is a good line, yeah. Uh, so, kiss me on the bus. I just, I feel like that's like, that's the first of many bangers on this. I feel like this one's like a great example of just what Westerberg is so good at. You know, it's like, I think I've said this with other people, but it's like a little short story in song form of just, you know, he's creating this situation that's like emotionally visceral and you feel it and I it just you know it just puts you in there and it's got like a lot of the best replacements song have this like emotional wistfulness to it and it's there. Yeah, I think it's the like it's the better version of that big star song thirteen. Yeah. Um which has always kind of creeped me out because like it's titled 13 which yeah makes me feel uneasy but this is like a better way to to you know to tell that story right? yeah like you're on the bus with a with a peer hopefully yeah. <laughs> um well so do you read it as school bus or city bus well originally i read it as city bus but i think it's school bus because it's there's a line in there that like i can't wait till monday yeah, I, 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 but I mean, you know, if they're commuting, I guess, I, I mean, that's, it, it's hard not to view it from like a Minneapolis centric lens where like, well, I mean, there, there is no, or there was no public transportation other than the bus. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like, I, I don't know, maybe the, I, the, the Minneapolis centric lens is never more appropriate <laughs> than it is right here. Again, we're recording this in the replacements historical district, like. I, I, I read this as adults. Well, maybe they're on the 18 or the 4. I mean, like, we could okay, probably yeah. speculate on which fucking bus line. This probably, is. yes. It's probably one of those two, or the 6. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. It's, just, it's weird to me. Like, this song is so... I don't use this adjective a lot. But this song is sweet. And it's weird when... And, and like, Westerberg can do that sometimes. And it's weird when his demeanor in real life is being a surly dick. And like, I, that's, just, that's the enigma of the man, I guess. It's like how you get these finely observed, emotionally mature, sweet songs, you know, from a guy who just was like appalling to everyone in his life. Yeah, and this is, this is a, a, not a good, not a good analogy, but I'm going to make it anyway. It's like, you know, you're, you're, uh, your view of Gallagher, right? 
just as a person is like, oh, here's this here's this comedian smashing watermelons and telling <laughs> bad jokes. Like he seems like a harmless guy, but everyone who's ever encountered him says he's a complete asshole. Yes. So like, you know, I think it just you know, your conception of people can be different than than the actual. Very true. Very true. Um, another thing I love about Kiss Me on the Bus, there are fucking sleigh bells in it, and they sound great. How many great rock songs have sleigh bells in them? Not enough. Yes. Not That's, enough. I, 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 I wonder if they just kept sleigh bells in the studio. Or, um, I've also, I love like just the clean guitar tone, the background of everything. Usually, I think people should distort everything, but it, it sounds good here. I think there are times when you should distort everything. If your voice sounds like Jay Massis, you should distort <laughs> you everything. You should distort everything and then distort it some more. Uh, but, and I, I I love Jay Massis. Just like yeah. I love Dinosaur Jr. I just put that out there. But, uh, but you know, like... It's a case it, of a man knowing his limitations right, and working with them. Right. Um, and I think... I don't know. I think sometimes... There are examples of songs that just work better, more simplistic. Yeah. You know, like, I think of, like, California Stars. Yeah. The Woody Guthrie lyrics will go. Yeah. Like, it's a very simple, or like, uh, Old Man, like Neil Young. Yeah. Like, very simple kind of... Stripped down. Yeah, just sort of, you know, like, or Johnny Cash's version of Hurt. Like, yeah. Sometimes it's just good to kind of lay your desperateness out there. Yeah, I think so. Which is actually, I think, another song later that I think has that kind of desperation that I really like. I'd be wondering if you if you can figure out which one it is. I'm going to guess Swing and Party. Uh, it's not Swing and Party. Oh, well, then here comes your regular. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I will have a lot to say about Here Comes a Regular when we get there. Good. Um, in the meantime, though, we got to talk about Dose of Thunder. Uh, well, uh, you go first. I've talked a lot. Well, so Dose, Dose of Thunder is one of those songs that I think just doesn't really fit as a replacement song it for just, me. It doesn't add much. I feel like it's, it's one of those, like it's not a bad song. It's not like, you know, something, it's not like a, but it's. I don't know. For me, it's a, it would be a skip. Yeah, it's from the half of Tim that is just like, okay, you wrote a rock song. I to me, you know, I, I don't know this a hundred percent for sure, but it's always read to me like a heroin song. Um, I don't know. I like. I know heroin is very seductive, but one of the things it seems to seduce people into is writing incredibly boring songs about heroin. Um, I don't know, I just, like, I don't care about this song. I also, like, how much more information do you need that you shouldn't be taking heroin? <laughs> like, how many more case studies yeah. do you, like... I, I've always felt like... So, like, it's a tribute to the genius of Lou Reed that he was able to write a pro-heroin song that is actually good. And it kind of encapsulates a lot of what's great about The Clash, that they wrote a heroin song, but it's anti-heroin and it rocks the fuck out. And like, yeah. Uh, but you know, like so many, just fucking, 
to bag on you two again, like, like you two writing a heroin song always felt just like Bono trying to be cool. I mean, like, hey, me too, man. Hey, I'm dangerous. I'm cool. <laughs> I'm hip. I'm with it. I remember they. I remember he would like. I saw them on the you know the Zoo TV era, and when they played Running to Stand Still, he would like fucking mime shooting up on stage and like do this like arm slapping and just it was. I was a fucking high school senior and was like thinking like this is awfully try hard. Yeah, I mean that's kind of Bono's wheelhouse. Yeah, is this try hard? I my my point I guess heroin songs. Big Z. Yeah, not uh, not good. Should we take a quick break? Let's do, yes. All right, we're back. Um, ready to talk about The Waitress in the Sky? Yeah, is that, do you feel like that's your favorite in the sky song, or are you a wheel in the sky? <laughs> I'm not a wheel in the sky guy. What's that other one? The spirit in the sky. Spirit in the sky. It, Norman Greenbaum. It, it like sounds awesome, and then you listen to the words, and you're like, "What the fuck, dude?" Yeah, the lyrics are a little bit are a little bit of a. If you're not on my team, go after yourself. Yeah, it's not even like it doesn't even bother me that it's about Jesus. It's that it's so like I'm not a sinner. I've never sinned. How about you, fucko? Yeah, but it's masked by that cool, like, yeah. crunchy... That's fucking best use yeah. of a fuzz pedal ever. Oh, that's great. Norman Greenbaum is a land of contrasts. Mm-hmm. I feel like Waitress in the Sky is just another fucking Pantheon banger. Presence validates Dose of Thunder as, like, a space maker. Such a good song. Yeah, no, it's, it's really good. It's, it, it's uh... I don't know, you know, it's, it's kind of like the, it really leans into the replacements mythology of like, you know, like, we're up all night, we're at these 24-hour diners. And uh, the sign says, thank, what is it, sign says thank you very much for not smoking. My sign says I'm sorry, I'm smoking. <laughs> I, um, so I think it's funny, like this song, I thought, I've always loved this song. I always thought it was kind of dickish that, uh, you know, that he's making fun of, um, air hostesses um but then i found out like from that mare book like the whole song is making fun of his sister his sister was an airline stewardess and so he's just making fun of her and like that just makes it more awesome that like you know this maybe funniest song they wrote is just to like poke shit at his sister that is kind of that is that is pretty good like sibling De- dedication to needling your sibling. Yeah, that, that's that's a level of dickishness I can, can really get behind. I um. So we talked about you know a lot of replacement song have kind of this wistfulness to it. A lot of them also have kind of a country vibe, um, and this one I think super does for sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, they ended up covering Hank Williams kind of a lot on other record or in live performances and then some B-sides. And like Hank Williams Jr. (laughs) I would love to hear Paul Westerberg (laughs) sing All My Rowdy Friends. Uh, No, their their version of uh, their version of Lost Highway on the Songs for Slim thing is one of it's just it's fucking amazing. Um, Is, Is the David Lynch movie called Lost Highway? Yeah. 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 
So I guess Lynch was at least Hank Williams aware, which makes yeah. sense. Doesn't that movie have like Bill Pullman as like a jazz guy? Yeah. You know, noted cool jazz man <laughs> Bill Pullman. Such a weird I love that movie. I think it's great. Um yeah, I don't to me this is another song where like there are like this is another one where there are so I love the original, the OG Tim version, but this one has kind of substantial differences where like there are all kinds of background oohs and ahs that if they were in the original, they were buried under so much reverb that I could never make them out. And here you can really hear them. And like, it doesn't even, um, the song starts differently here. You know, it's got like, you can hear them kind of talk a little and then start the song and it gives it more of this like hanging out around the campfire vibe kind of. And I just, I think the whole ethos of the, of this, engineering job is that it just lifts everything up. Like yeah. It just makes it sound like there are four people in the band and not two. Yeah, totally. And I, I love it. I think yeah. it's... I, I cannot say enough good things about it. It yeah. is it, it is amazing. It's, uh, you know, it's, just, it's tough to... Tough to have much useful to say about this song as a song because it's just so good on its own merits. Like... This is just this is what the replacements were really good at. Uh, that, that's all I've got. Have you got no, anything? On? No, I'm ready to swing. Swing and party. So this somehow, I guess not knowing what, that can't hardly wait was called can't hardly wait. I was just like looking at replacement CDs in 1993, and I thought swing and party. That must be that song. And so like I was horrified the first time I heard this and it you know was not can't hardly wait it is not can't hardly wait but, but it's it, a great song and it is it's kind of like foretelling of what Westerberg's solo career is going to be like like yeah. it's got that I mean first of all this song is mixed beautifully yeah like you get you do get that kind of hopelessness in yeah. Westerberg's voice and I mean I if this was on this could definitely be on you know stereo mono Right? Yeah, like for sure, it's got that same feel to it. Like he, he is so good at being sad and wistful. Like that's that's one of the replacements' dominant modes. The older they get, and you know, like like, I mean, I, I guess really it starts showing up in "Let It Be" and just like later in their career, it gets more and more, and then he like just dines out on that mode solo. I love the line. I love it that they have the line, quitting school and going to work and never going fishing. Like that is, that is the most, like I grew up in Minnesota. It is very, yes, it is very Midwest centric. And I love that the only other rock song that I love that I can think of that talks about fishing is Celebrated Summer by Husker Du. So like the two big Minnesota bands. Fish in the Dark? (laughs) What song? What? Fishing in the Dark? Don't know. Who? What? No, it's a country. It's a oh. shitty country song. <laughs> you and me go fishing in the dark. <laughs> so, there's, so. Pl- there's plenty of... Quality. I-, I believe your guy, Hank Williams Jr., who's got the country boy can survive. 
catch catfish from dusk till dawn. I, I did specify rock songs. Uh, I'm excluding. Are you saying Hank Boy Jr. is not a rock artist? <laughs> yes, I am saying that. Well, fine. Well, I I am going to invite a bunch of people over for football, <laughs> and not you. They'll just be my rowdy friends. Doubt. <laughs> I meant I, I. You know, it's almost New Year. I resolve to be rowdier next year. Does he even still do that? They I don't, still I don't do think that show, or is it done? I don't even know if Monday Night Football is still a no. thing. I'm so checked out. Yeah. I, I am not sure one way around, or one way or the other. So this is going to be a hell of an aside, but do you remember the Bruce Willis movie, The Last Boy Scout? I do. Where, like, one of the jokes is, like, that, that like, football is so unpopular that they moved it to Friday night, and, like, they're like... <laughs> Friday night's a good night for football. <laughs> I don't remember that bit at all. I, the main thing I remember about that movie is I rented it with my friend, with our friend Grant in high school, and the, like his dad came in as we were watching it, just as Bruce Willis had some line about, "I haven't read anything since I canceled my subscription to Jugs magazine," <laughs> and you know, and we were just like dying. Um, I don't. Re- I remember there's football in the movie, but I don't remember. It's also like I remember. Like I feel like I saw it with my dad. Yeah. And it was like every other word in that movie is the f word. Yeah, it's like a banner movie to cringe around dads. Yeah, it's like yeah, good one to watch with your dad. <laughs> um, back to swinging party. How about how about the line? Um, if being afraid is a crime, we'll hang side by side at the swinging party down the line. Like, pretty good. The man, I mean, really Paul, fucking good. Paul Westerberg is a really good lyricist. Yeah, he doesn't get really get credit for it, but that man can write a rock song. He knows what he is doing. I, I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding when I say I think he's better at making rock music than you know. Like, I will put him up against. John Lennon or Paul McCartney any day of the week. I think like Talk about Sean Lennon. Fuck, fuck Sean Lennon. He's a fucking anti-vaxxer. He, of course he is. Like I am so The dude has not grown up in the real world. Like he's yeah. like he is a product of you know like I mean it's gotta be if you're him it's gotta be a weird headspace yeah, because I everyone's like your dad was amazing. You're like Thanks. My dad's been dead for 30 years. Yeah. That's super helpful. And everyone hates my mom. Yeah. Right? Yeah, but still. Um, okay, but, you know, setting swing and party aside, like, there have been, we've talked about some great songs. Uh, Bastards of Young, I think, is like, Another level up. No, it's a from that's the, a pantheon amongst replacement songs. Yeah, like one of the. It's just it's such a fucking anthem. Just that opener is insane. Yeah, we are the sons of no one. So uh, that's a thing. I always thought that's what they were saying, and that like like one of the gifts of the remaster is. Well, so I guess I. How did this? What was the sequence? I always thought they were saying we are too. Is that not what they're saying? No, the 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 mayor book points out that they're actually saying wait on the sons oh, of no one. Wait on the and sons. And then like listening, like you can actually hear it in the. Um, oh. Yeah, which 
I don't understand. Like we are the sons of no yeah, one. That makes, a lot makes more sense. Maybe it's like a maybe it's like a we're wait on the sons of no one, and then we're gonna so like we're gonna play. So it gets to the same place, right? It's yeah, like an introduction of yeah. I mean, it's got to be like roughly the same sentiment, but like yeah, it always it surprised me to learn that that like, I'd been hearing it wrong for. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Decades. Yeah, no, I was. You, I would have bet American money that it was. We are the sons of no one. Yeah, it, it ought to be. I always liked the unwillingness to claim us. They've got no war to name us. Yeah, as sort of a like you know like, sort of like a Gen X thing. Like you're you're smashed between World War Two, Vietnam, us. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I mean like you can see why Gen Xers love this fucking band so much in this song I the, the thing about the ones who love us best are the ones we'll lay to rest visit their graves on holidays at best the ones that love us least are the ones we'll die to please if it's any consolation I don't begin to understand like I just yeah that's a fucking novel in two couplets I mean it's just you think about like if you unpack that like yeah. how much is communicated in those two bars right? yeah like yeah maybe that's you know, some of the explanation probably more than such a more thing. than two hours, but yeah, yeah, it's just it's it's nuts. I and his delivery too. Like I honestly like, I am confused by life a lot of the time. You and me both. And I I find myself sit, you know mentally saying to myself in a Paul Westerberg voice like yeah, if it's any consolation I don't begin to understand. That's just that's kind of a little mantra for me I guess. So I guess I would be remiss, since the song is called Bastards of Young, to not ask you this question. Would you rather be the bastard son of Neil Young or <laughs> Angus Young? Or Malcolm Young, I guess. I, I think uh, I, I think Neil Young would be would be preferable. Um, you know don't know if you're going to have any relationship with them or not, but, uh, you know, if you do, I think Neil Young would be the better person to have a relationship with. And if you don't, that surprises me given your pro Australia stance. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I, I, I think a lot of Neil Young is what it comes down. Yeah. (laughs) I actually, I don't know anything about Angus Young as a person. Yeah, me either. Uh, He might be like a perfectly lovely man. I know he's a very small man because I saw his uh, schoolboy costume <laughs> at the Experience Music Project, and it is tiny. Very yeah, slight. He, he always looks like a, a, a little slip of a guy. I love his taste in guitars. Yeah, he, I'm just just saying. I, if I could think of another, like a Steve Young, the football quarterback. He, seemed, he always seemed all right. Yeah, I never had a beef with him. He, not an Aaron Rodgers situation. No, I think he's just kind of a boring guy who could play football yeah, pretty well. Yeah, I think he's good. Left-handed. Yeah? Yeah. Fucking left-handed. Um, the Bastards of Young, this one, this was the one that had the great video that was just... The static shot phone. of the speaker? Yes. God, that is... So, like, I both love and hate that at the same time. How can you hate that? Because well, it's stupid. It's you know, I get what you're trying to say, but you're you're just screwing over your fans, right? Who are like, are you though? They get to hear "Bastards of Young." Yeah, but the, the medium is video, right? Not yeah, but don't make a video. That's all I'm saying. Like, if uh, well, I, I think that was what they wanted, but the label said you have to. 
I, I guess my counter argument would be like, sure, you get things like the Beastie Boys sabotage, where the video, the visuals add, you know, take something that was already very good and elevate it. And like, when you can do that, that's great. But 90 fucking 8% of videos from the MTV era didn't add dick. And like, I love that they were just like, yeah, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Tom Cochran, Life is a Highway. <laughs> Great video. <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting hill you're setting up fortifications. <laughs> Maybe I just, yeah, I, I just love the whole Tom Cochran catalog, <laughs> including his time in Red Rider, the lunatic fringe. <laughs> Man, you know, this this audio is going out to the world. Just so you know. Hey, maybe Tom Cochran will reach out to me. Is he still alive? <laughs> maybe. Hey, my fan. <laughs> Another thing with Bastards of Young, this is also, so, you know, talking about the thing with the replacements where it's so easy to say, what if this hadn't happened? What if this hadn't happened? This is the song they were playing where Westerberg said, fuck on the air on Saturday Night Live and got them banned. Um, you know, and so I've heard people say, like, oh my God, well, if he hadn't done that, they, or if uh, Lauren Michaels had been less of a fucking weirdo about it, you know, they, they could have blown up. And how, do, how does SNL not have a drop button? Yeah, I don't know. Like, that, that, I mean, it, like, let's just unpack, is it, that's a show where, like, John Belushi used to do cocaine before the show started, right? <laughs> right. Like, it's kind of on you if your production process doesn't allow. I mean, the whole the whole premise of Saturday Night Live is that like it's this band of misfits. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. so to be you know to you know clutch your pearls over somebody saying the f word just seems inconsistent. If if, if if fucking. Paul Westerberg, if your fail-safes cannot handle just, like, a rockin' dude from Minneapolis, your fail-safes are not very good. Yes, and the whole show is supposed to be, like, satire of... I just... I I don't want to shatter any illusions, but I don't know that Lorne Michaels is actually that cool. Well, there's... I have little (laughs) doubt of that. Uh, um, There's a reason Dr. Evil is a good villain. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, the other things I've got on Bastards of Young, I just I feel like this has some of Bob Stinson's best work on the record. And the whole thing, like, the best thing about the replacements was that they had this ability to just fucking rock out and just rule well, also feeling like they're out on the edge and the whole thing could fall apart at any time. And this, this recording captures that. Like, I do feel like that's sort of a, you know, you talked about Bob Stinson kind of was really good at being out over his skis. Yeah. And I feel like that's just sort of the, how the band rolled. Like, yeah. Like, we're just going to put it out there and sometimes it's going to be, sometimes it's not going to work, sometimes it's going to work, we're gonna, but we're going to keep doing it I think that's just I, I think that that part of the replacements is admirable as hell like I think that's that's the only way to do it is just commit as hard as you can and let it go uh, you got anything else on bastards I do not I'm ready to lay it down clown 
So we're back to the just okay rockers. <laughs> well, so here's here's the thing with like so the replacements have this thing where they sometimes have great song titles for really marginal songs. Yeah. Like Gary's got a boner. Gary's got a boner. Shiftless when idle on Sorry Ma yeah. is a great and they even put this in the liner notes. It says song song title great. Song not so much. Yeah. Oh, I think it's even simpler. I think it's just like title great yeah. song kinda or something like that. It's but it's uh yeah. I mean, lay it down. Clown has got a cool name, and the song is not one you're gonna listen to. No, so. it's got a nice off kilter slide part from Bob, and that's. Yeah. So, according to Mare, this song is Westerberg calling Peter Buck a pussy for either, I can't remember if it was for not doing speed with him or doing speed with him, but then, like, acting like he didn't. And, like, the whole REM jealousy thing is, like, one of the less cool things Westerberg had going. I feel like that was just a function of bands that didn't make didn't make it as much as REM did. Yeah. Like cuz like I feel like Husker Du has a little bit of that too where they're like you know like oh, REM I don't know. It's just it's it, it's hard to see your your heroes be petty, yeah. I guess, but Well, and like Westerberg's West uh, Westerberg talks in some interviews about how, you know, he felt like he he felt like R.E.M. were willing to be like dancing monkeys who would do what the record company wanted, you know, and the replacements kept it real. I don't think that's and, true. Though. I mean, yeah, like like you look at the fucking recorded, you know, the recorded works of both. And fucking R.E.M. was like saying, fuck it, we're going to record an album where no one plays their instruments. And Peter Buck is on mandolin the whole fucking time. I mean, do you, you think know, like, the record company wanted them to release Monster? Right. Like, I... I don't know. It's just, it's unbecoming. It's like you say, it just, it sucks seeing someone you admire being just kind of petty and shitty. I think, yeah. I think REM is maybe kind of an easy target for people. I'm sure like being the success story for the, you know, kind of alternative band yeah. who goes major and yeah, like that giant target on their backs. But I, I, I think they've, it seems unfair. Yeah. I think they are okay with how it worked out. Yeah. I imagine Michael Stipe is crying his eyes out in his Tuscan village. There was a really cool article in the Times a couple weeks ago. Um, the Navy Times? Yeah, yes, the U.S. Navy <laughs> Times. Uh, no, uh, the, the New York Times. Um, so Stipe has a solo album that's getting ready to come out, and they like you know the Times has this big write up about it, and it's pretty fascinating. Like I wish I, I wish that had come out before we talked about. Life's rich because, like, the main thing that comes out of it was like the entire run of REM. Like, Stipe was panicked and thinking he was fucking it up, and like, like never thought he was doing a good job. Um, you know, and is like just just now coming to terms with the fact that like, oh, I'm a singer. People like my voice. I guess I can write words people like. It's just it's fascinating to me that someone could have been that outwardly good at what they were doing and not believed it. 
Well, I mean, I've had that thought a number of times with people that I really... I remember when David Foster Wallace died by suicide. Yeah. I had that same thought that, you know, why can't... You know, like, I read his stuff and I'm like, this guy this guy does things with words that I can't even comprehend. Yeah. And clearly... Well, I mean, just setting aside that perhaps he was not the best person in the world... Uh, you know, I just, I think there's just a default thing where people think they suck and they can't. Yeah. I don't know. And I actually like, like circling around. I think that was absolutely the case. It was and is the case with, with Paul Westerberg where like, I don't, I don't think he recognizes you know, I, I know that he has an ego and thinks he's, I know he thinks he's great, but I also don't think he recognizes the actual ways in which he is great. And I don't think he, I don't think he understands why he resonates. Um, just uh, stuff he said through the years and his response to the reunion tour. Like, I just, I don't think he knows how the particular ways he's good. And I think that's not great. I guess the other side of that is you become like Scott Adams where you're just, you're <laughs> yeah. just like a psychopath about how awesome you are. Yeah. And you don't, you, you sure as fuck do not want to go that route. No, there's nothing good from that. Nothing yeah. good comes from that. Yes. Um, so lay it down clown. I think we're done with lay it down clown. Yeah. Then we move on to the second fucking Pantheon <clears throat> jam. Hey. Joining the Replacements answering machine as a song no one under 30 will understand. Yeah, I have that same note. Yes. But I always thought that was just a genius phrasing to talk about something out of the mainstream, like left of the dial. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So like the mainstream is this radio dial and you know, we're we're out here, you know, where no one hears you. Yeah. I even I don't know if I don't know if for sure if this is true, but I always thought that college radio stations were always given low frequency numbers um, because they're lower power, which would, you know, on an old car stereo would put them very far to the left on the dial. Um, uh, we're getting a, a visit from a dog here. I do think, though, that, you know, like you just have this I don't know. You know, you're kind of, it's sort of, especially in this time period where you feel like, okay, if we're going to make money playing music, you know, we've got to, we have to do something completely different than what we're doing now. Yeah. And so I think that, that just encapsulates that sort of feeling of not fitting in or, or sort of not, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just such a good, it's such a good descriptor. Yeah, well, I, I love, like, I totally agree with you that, like, no one under 30 will natively get what they're saying, but it's so evocative that you don't need to. For sure, yeah. You know, like, mean, that's just, it's such a perfect use of phrase that, like, I, you know, you get the vibe no matter what. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, yeah, maybe you don't get exactly the reference, but you get the idea of the, the and this is a brief aside I swear uh, but one of the lines is playing makeup wearing guitar I love that line yeah and uh, I was at the ice house which for non Minneapolis residents is this weird fusion of like cocktail bar and jazz bar yeah uh, and like upscale restaurant weirdly 
but all of their cocktails are song themed, so they've got mm-hmm. like a generals gathered in their masses. Okay. Uh, but one of their uh, one of their cocktails is called the Play and Makeup Wearing Guitar. And the bartender had the audacity to tell me, yeah, I think it's based on some local band. And I'm like, sir, <laughs> let me... <laughs> uh, you know, as a member of a local band, um, your fucking venue should not be that hard to get into if you don't know, you know, if your staff doesn't know... They're, they're basic fucking local music. Well, I'm like, things. presumably you're trying to operate a music venue here. Yeah. Maybe learning the names of the songs, a song by the replacements might be a good thing it's, to figure out. You know, and you're fucking two doors down from where they recorded. Their- yes. Yes. You could throw, you could easily throw a disc golf disc from myself <laughs> to Nicholas Studio. Um, okay, audibly, like, there's just, there's so much great fucking sound like the guitars sound perfect on this i love the bits where it's quieter and you can hear mars clicking through i love i don't know of a song by anybody that has a better use of quiet loud quiet loud dynamics you're gonna get frank black is gonna come after you like (laughs) i this is just this this might be the perfect it's great no alternative rock song it is a so I mean I think this is where it's hard for this album because it's got so many great songs on it that you're you know like and I guess we'll get into the this on the next one it's like sometimes I think you overlook the you overlook the other songs yeah. because they're they're in the presence of greatness I want to jump ahead yeah I've actually I've said so little mascara I yeah I don't know how I classify this one honestly like maybe it's one of the space-making rockers, but maybe it's quietly pretty fucking great I on think, its own. I think the remaster turns this thing into a banger. It's it's a... I always wrote it off. Maybe it's the remaster that helps. I always wrote it off, and, like, listening to it for the show, I've been like, this song, oh, it, like, I it's, really... It smokes. It's it a... Fucking rules. It's... I. This they, is another. Oh, go ahead. I think, they, I think just pushing up the rhythm guitar... Yeah. And just sort of, like... You know, like it just—it gives it so much more girth. Like, just—I yeah. so, mean, it just—it really hits you. Well, I mean, it's kind of a stupid song. I don't think it is. I think but, it's kind of profound. But actually, I, but I love it. I, I uh, so there's this there's this movie podcast I listen to sometimes. Um, when you know, it, I don't know, they like make lists of movies, and there was one where they were. Is it called? Uh, Weinstein fan club. <laughs> yes, it's I. It is Harvey not. Weinstein is innocent. <laughs> it's called screen drafts. Yeah. Um, but so there's one where they they were talking about the you know they're ranking the Coen's brothers movies and they got to the man who wasn't there, and I don't remember where they ranked it, but they ranked it really high. And they they kept saying that like, this is a movie that if you see it in your twenties, you will think is stupid. But if you see it when you're older and, like, you know what disappointment is like and, you know, you've had shit not work out, um, it will hit you as, like, one of the Coen Brothers' best movies. Um, and I think that's kind of Little Mascara. is the same thing. Like, this, this song is so good about just, 
a person whose life hasn't turned out the way she wanted it to. And it's, you know, it puts you into that and it's so empathetic, but it fucking rocks at the same time. Yeah, I mean, and I guess I think that good songs are, like, it just takes you away to, which sounds kind of yacht rocky singing out loud. But, <laughs> uh, but like, sort of takes you away to where you really feel what the per, what the protagonist is feeling. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know this, that's what this does. It's got such you know the you nap them and you slap them in a high chair. Like those are simple words, but it conveys a fucking ton. But it, and and the pacing is just so good with that. Like I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Just... Fuck the the outro where you just keep saying like cry your eyes out. Yeah. Um, no, you know, and great. It, it's, it's like major key and sounds really happy, but it's really fucking sad. I mean, I listening to the CD, I would never have flagged this as a good. Like it would yeah. have been a. I don't know if it's the remaster or if it's just like looking at it with a you know fresh set of ears. Yeah, but being old enough to. Yeah, it's really good. I my last note on this, and I will stand on, I will stand on your coffee table in my cowboy boots saying this. Um, I will take one Paul Westerberg. Over fifty Kurtz Cobain, you know, even if Westerberg is a dick. I like how you pluralized it, Kurtz Cobain, Kurtz comma Cobain. I, I believe in correct compound plurals. I appreciate very, that. That very important to me. That's a lost skill in American society. <laughs> Damn straight. Oh, so then here comes a regular. Yeah, I mean, you cannot end a record better than this. Yeah, and it's. Uh, I don't know if this is. If this is just urban lore, but uh, it's allegedly about the CC Club. Yeah, I've I've heard that too. I I mean, it, everything. I mean that makes sense. Tracks, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely an alcoholics bar. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well put. It's uh, one of my former coworkers was uh, worked for Ryko Disc for a long time, and uh, he said that he would have to go into the CC Club to like find artists to pay them. During the day. <laughs> uh, there's a lot buried in that. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, Keith and I both spent a fair amount of time in the CC club in yeah. our 20s. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a charming sort of shitty bar. It is. You know, I mean, like, like being brutally honest, I think I was, a lot of the time I was there because it was the legendary place, you know, and you're like chasing the legend. But it, it's a place that feels like... You go in there and you don't feel stupid chasing a legend in there. You feel like, yep, this is what it ought to be. And we actually, Keith and I, lived in an apartment. Pretty close by. Pretty close by, but the bartender at the CC Club lived next door yes. to us. Shit, that's right. Do you remember he would always take a taxi cab to work? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always thought that was so weird. Minneapolis is not a taxi cab city. Yeah, right. Like it's actually harder to get a taxi cab than it is probably anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. I'd forgotten about that. I don't know what he was protecting himself, and it wasn't like what is the CC clubs at like twenty seventh and yeah twenty sixth twenty sixth, and we lived at like thirty. So it's like he clearly could have walked, yeah. right? Like yeah. Man, this is a total, total change of subject. But speaking of that apartment, so we were at 32nd and 
Garfield. Garfield. Yeah. Um, talking about the replacements historical district. So supposedly Run It is about them racing a um, driving a motor scooter along 31st. And, you know, in the, in the, the chorus that is Lindale Garfield. Garfield. So, yeah. you know, they passed right by that apartment. And um, also the, the song Customer is about the, I guess now it's a speedway, but it was an essay at 40th in Lindale. Oh, next to next to across from Kaluna. Kaluna. Yeah. yeah, so like we are just we are surrounded by this shit. That was uh, it was inter- This is gonna bore the shit out of non-Minneapolis people, but for a while that intersection had identical gas stations <laughs> on the competing on the same. other side. Like they were both Super Americas, but they were on the other side of Lindale. Yeah, and gas they tore down north, the yes. nice one. <laughs> to build a restaurant and left the shit one. And it's a really fucking nice restaurant. It is a nice too. restaurant, yeah. That's, that's... But the one they left is supposedly the the customer essay. But oh. I would put Here Comes a Regular up with like uh, Life on Mars is one of my favorite like, like songs ever. Recorded. Yeah, it's just it's it's so beautiful and perfect. I think, you know, we, we talked about like these different modes of replacements where there's like this funny replacements there's country replacements there's wistful sometimes there's just sad replacements and this is the best sad replacement song yeah it's a great song it's like a picture on a fridge that's never stocked with food like that is an evocative fucking line or i used to live at home now i stay at their house yeah fuck a lot to unpack there yeah I don't know. I it's a yeah. It's I don't know. You know, so sometimes a good song, you just like the instruments just get out of the way, and you just listen to the lyrics. And I feel yeah. like this is one of those songs. Yeah. Do you remember back when we lived in Linden Hills, and um, my band Red Hay was dying out? I was like trying to find other bands. There was like some other band that I was like in for the length of one show and like I was I was gonna learn to play drums to be their drummer that was not um, the Neil Young band no it was before them was, this band was called like Federal Weights and Measures oh yes I do remember that oh, guy because that guy's name was like Peter Boss or something yeah, right? yeah yeah and I just I remember I went to one of their shows and I was like kind of like a candidate member of the band um, and they called me up on stage I think it was at the turf um, and they were like, yeah, you know, man, we got, uh, we got a friend here. We want him to come up and join us. And they wanted me to help them sing Here Comes a Regular. And I just like had such a, I just felt like such a fucking idiot, you know, covering Here Comes a Regular in the Twin Cities. Like, it feels like you do not do that unless you are absolutely confident that you are somehow going to bring something to it, you know, and like we weren't. <laughs> I felt like, wow, I feel like a dumb person. I will say that was a great name for a band. That is. Weight and measures. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they must not be around anymore. I can, should steal that. Yeah, that was, that was a good name. It was a good name. Not a good band, but a good name. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Anything else? Here, so... A lot of these songs are like very good, and so I just don't have much 
Yeah, it's it's also challenging a little bit to like uh, to talk about an album that you've listened to so many times. Yeah, this is this is the operating the musical operating system of my of my brain is this. So it's like you're it's the and this is kind of the fun part is that it's part record discussion, part therapy session, yeah, and like part trip down memory lane absolutely but it i don't know it's just such this and i i know i keep saying this but like hats off to this guy because he he took something great and he elevated it yeah yep yes i mean i am an ed stasium fan now um do you want to talk about the next album well i was gonna hit you with a couple of you know just ask you really quickly favorite song favorite animal Favorite animal? What's your favorite, what's your favorite color? Uh, do you have a favorite song on this? Uh, probably Here Comes a Regular, but I could make a case for Left of the Dial. What about I, you? I think Bastards of Young, but I do think that like uh, half of half of this record is among the greatest rock songs ever recorded. And other days I might pick the ones you picked because they're so good. And do you have a verdict on this record? I think it sucks. No. Yeah, fuck this thing. <laughs> if you shit, see it, wipe your ass with it. <laughs> shit sandwich. <laughs> your record start shark sandwich, which they just called shit, shit sandwich. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like the restoration complicates the question of which was the greatest replacements album, which is a pretty high bar. Like I don't, honestly, I don't know how you beat this one with the... Yeah, maybe not. I always gave it to Please to Meet Me just because it was engineered better, but not anymore. Yeah. I, I You know, like it's like my heart wants to, to go to bat for Hootenanny. I, that, I think that is my personal favorite to listen to. That's, but I don't know that Hootenanny is a better record than this. It's a lot of fun, though. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just fucking, fucking great. Um, so yeah, talking about the next record. So here's the thing with the next record. Oh, this is done. I'm, which, I'm, which Nils Klein album <laughs> are we doing? Just, just get it out there. Well, so it's funny that you should pose that question. <laughs> I'm a coward. I, I've got it down to two. I cannot decide. So I need you to tell me. Given the choice between something that is classic or contemporary, what are you feeling? Classic. Oh, whoa. <laughs> okay, hogs on board for classic. Yeah. Um, okay, we are going to talk about... We're going to travel back to 1987 again when the cool kids were listening to Warehouse. Twins oh. won the World Series. Uh, the cool kids were listening to Warehouse. The Heshers were listening to Appetite for Destruction. I love that album. And that's what we're going to talk yeah. about. Fantastic. All love right. It. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's going to be pretty wild. Um, Welcome to the jungle. <laughs> I think you should remake the album singing it that way. It's like a lounge. Sort yeah. Of the lounge Appetite. Um, okay. We've got fun again. <laughs> but I mean, the rhythm kind of works for that. Like, yeah. you could 
You can put like a yeah swinging Barry Manilow thing on it. Back her up, that fuck her up. <laughs> nice. Uh, in the meantime, thanks, thanks a ton for listening. We will be back at some point um, in early 2024 uh, to talk about appetite for destruction, and I, I think that's going to be a motherfucker of a discussion. Um, I am Keith Pilly. You can find me on Blue Sky or Twitter at, at Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad Cook, and you can find me at Cook6252 on Twitter. And do you do, you're on Blue Sky, right? I'm on Blue Sky. I believe, I believe it's Cook6252 at Blue Sky as well. But. It's weird because it's like it, it feels like Twitter, but it doesn't have the reach of Twitter. I'm trying to get uh, I'm trying to get Friendster back. <laughs> dogster. I'm, dogster. I'm on Dogster, but I have to pretend to be a dog. Okay. Um, I just I use Og's picture. Um. Yeah. So it, it's where, like me on uh, me on like uh, the Christian Mingle, where I was like, <laughs> like Methuselah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a rabbit hole to go down. Like, what kind of weird fucking references people have dropped. I'm not actually a, that, was, that was a joke. So do you think there's anyone on Christian Mingle who's like, I'm Onan for 2069? <laughs> I think those people would be asked to leave <laughs> Christian Mingle. I, I get in a lot of trouble because I people ask uh, Katie, my wife, how we met and I always say something like Farmers <laughs> Only or Christian Mingle or J-Date. Uh, so farmers only I've only ever seen commercial I've seen a couple commercials for it and like I just I know that I misunderstand what it actually is but no, I, wanna, I, I don't think you do so it literally is like farmers only I think it's you know like country folk who aren't gonna aren't gonna have their country taken away well, god damn it fair enough fair enough um Okay, yeah, so find us on whatever site, including Farmers Only, and uh, let us know if you have any thoughts on the show and what we've been saying. Um, If you dug the show, please tell about it or go wherever, leave a review. I say it all the time, but the algorithms like reviews. They will will push the show if you tell them it's worth pushing, if that makes sense. Uh, Right along. Right on. Thanks a lot, and we will talk to you soon when we when we indulge our appetite. Appetite for destruction. Destruction.